I don't act anymore. I gave that up. Oh, come on, man, just a scene. I said get away from me! I'm completely lost! I've hit rock bottom. Easy, easy, whoa, you gotta calm down there, Chuck. I hurt people. I'm a dick. Well, being a dickhead so bad. See, there's three kinds of people. Dicks, pussies, and assholes. Pussies think everyone can get along, and dicks just want to fuck all the time without thinking it through. But then you got your assholes, Chuck. And all the assholes want us to shit all over everything. So pussies may get mad at dicks once in a while because pussies get fucked by dicks. But dicks also fuck assholes, Chuck. And if they didn't fuck the assholes, you know what you'd get? You'd get your dick and your pussy all covered in shit. listening to enter vr and i'm chris miranda your host the uh podcast on all things virtual reality this is it um and today i'm speaking with sky knight sky thank you so much for coming on the show you are the uh, author of virtual reality insider you're also uh an avid virtual reality enthusiast who's been involved in the community for a little while and i've seen you at a lot of meetups and you're also creating your own startup which I'm about to get into with you in a little bit. Um, but yeah, thank you again for coming along. I'm really excited to be able to speak to with, uh, speak with you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome. So tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you're up to. Um, you know, uh, we, we can talk about the book, but uh, I know yeah. there's something that you are <laughs> up to right now that I want to get out of the way. So, so. Yeah, definitely. So um, so yeah, I wrote the book uh, about five months ago and kind of that was my entrance into the VR kind of community. Um, and so now I'm basically uh, have a small game studio. We're building an interactive narrative game uh, for virtual reality. Um, and so I'm the writer and kind of, you know, project manager slash sales guy on the team. And uh, yeah, we were kind of a couple of uh, industry veterans. Well, I'm not, but my team members are. And, uh, you know, we're basically looking to make something that, Basically, you know, base, you are the hero in a story. So you're not controlling the hero or watching them. You're, you're really fulfilling this fantasy of, hey, I'm saving the world. So that's that's what I'm really excited about right now to be working on. Uh, that sounds very exciting. And uh, talk to me a, bit, a little bit more about how you wound up uh, involved in, v- in VR in the first place. Yeah, so there was a period, like, I guess it was early last summer when I was working, you know, living in Silicon Valley, this is kind of what you do. You work on a mobile startup. So I was working on a, you know, photo sharing app. um, And I found myself just researching virtual reality stuff when I should have been doing research for the app. So that for me was like a kind of a first sign. And then it just so happened at the same time, I was reading a bunch of entrepreneurship books, a bunch of uh, things about rationality. Uh, If you haven't heard of the blog, Less Wrong, you should check it out because Hmm. it really teaches you how to kind of look at your preconceived notions. And so I was kind of applying these things and realizing that, oh, you know, I've already put in like three months of work into this other startup. But virtual reality is this thing that is just going to be so much cooler and so much more of a kind of product founder fit for me because I'm a gamer and have been a gamer all my life. And this was for me, you know, it's like, yes, this is finally happening. 
Um, so I, you know, made the switch over and that's how I kind of wrote the book was that to me made the most sense for my skill set of something I could contribute to the community. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, how did you, where did you first hear the term virtual reality and can you walk me through your first experience on, on DK1 and DK2, <laughs> yeah, de for example? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, was out visiting my brother in Boston uh, for PAX East and it was, I guess, that last March. And uh, I'd heard, you know, a bit about Oculus and I was like, oh, whatever, 3D gaming, 3D sucks. Because I, in my head, I was thinking 3D, you know, in the old sense of 3D, the, the 2D screens that come out at you. Because um, that to me was a complete gimmick, and the entire time I like I hated that type of 3D, and so I thought it was still just more of the same kind of thing, and I was confused why there were actually gamers who were interested in it. So you know that was my head state uh, at PAX East of like 2013 or whatever it was, or I guess it was 2014 um, when they were showing off the DK2, and so you know we got in line, and it was actually really interesting because. To get in line for the Oculus booth, it was just a small kind of booth area, and literally they would cut off the line so that no one else could get in the line because of, like, fire hazard. So what ended up happening is you had a bunch of people just circling the booth like sharks, waiting for them to open the line. And then as soon as they would kind of open the lineup, a ton of people would rush in. And so me and my brother kind of rushed towards it, and, you know, we just barely were able to get in um, before they closed it off again. So it was literally like a free-for-all to get in line for the Oculus booth. Um, so that was a good first start. But uh, then I sat down and tried uh, Couch Nights, the demo. And I, I think like the moment I put on the DK2, uh, that was my moment of, whoa, this is, we're finally able to do this technologically. Because I hadn't understood until that point what exactly it meant by presence in VR and all that type of thing. And so I tried on the headset and I was playing Couch Nights with my brother. And I mean, it was awesome. It was just like, hey, you're there. And my mind immediately started going to locomotion and thinking, okay, how are we going to do this? Like, how are you going to run around in this? Like, so I, it was definitely something I found interesting. And for whatever reason, I, in my mindset, I kind of put off jumping right into it. And so I, you know, kind of went back to school. So I was going to UC Berkeley at the time. So I was in, or it was kind of, yeah, I was in my third year there, uh, finishing up that third year. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I'll graduate a year from now, and then I'll, you know, go after I graduate, and, you know, after this, this first summer, I'll, you know, build a startup, whatever, and then after I graduate, I'll, you know, finally jump into VR. And so that was kind of how I pushed off the uh, the doing, like, getting right into VR. So let then, me jump like back I a said, little bit. Hold, let me ch jump back, yeah. just back a little bit more. I, I want to backtrack because I want to know, I mean, what, what did it feel like? What sensations did you feel when you were, yeah, uh, when you first put on DK2? Um, what was the feeling? I, I think it was, the literal thought in my head was, wow, we can do this now. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that was, that was my thought was, holy crap, this is, this is happening, like, I'd read Ready Player One, you know, I think about a year ago uh, from that point. Yeah. Um, and to me, you know, to everyone, it was, oh, this isn't going to happen for a while. But then it was like, oh, this is happening within the next 10 years. And so when you so, when you write your book, I mean, who do you have, um, who's who's the audience that you have in mind? Do you have an, an audience that is, or has yeah. already tried DK2 and DK1 and is already somewhat versed? Or are you trying to... Uh, target an audience that doesn't have um like uh experience trying out vr like right so there, there were two use cases i designed the book for 
Um, the first use case and probably the most effective is that you have heard about VR and you want to find out more information. You need kind of a jumping off point. So, you know, I think what word for that is a primer, uh, kind of an introduction, a, a guidebook to VR. So that's kind of one use case where, you know, people who are coming into the industry, you know, all these different professionals in the industry that are, sorry, not in the industry, but professionals in, say, gaming industry or the movie industry or people who are just in the tech industry in general who have heard about VR and they want to, you know, find out more. And so that was kind of use case number one. Um, use case number two was the industry veteran. So people like us who have tried the DK1 and the DK2, you know, they're actively prototyping VR games. Um, and for that uh, group, you know, the use case is different. So basically the first use case, you're kind of being exposed to a very large amount of ideas and kind of seeing where you want to go. For the industry veteran, it's more like a brainstorming book. Hmm. So it's, hey, you can read this book in an hour or two hours and kind of get exposed and, and review a bunch of the stuff that you already know. And then also within that, maybe see new ideas you had never thought of and kind of intermingle and, and see how those ideas affect your own kind of conceptions. Um, and then from that kind of get new ideas and be able to build new things that maybe before on your own you hadn't been able to do before. Yeah, no, I enjoyed uh, I, in particular the the last couple of chapters of your book when you're you're talking about education and all the different possibilities and potential that can be unlocked with the technology. Um, but you know, just uh, you know, a, a question that is um, that is that gets asked over and over, and that I ask myself over over and over is, how do we get people excited about this technology when when words are so insufficient in 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 really capturing what it feels like when you actually right. put on the hmd i'm just like you i didn't cross over to become a believer in the tech until i put on dk1 and then i saw the lab from half-life <laughs> 2 and i was like this right. is it but 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 then you know for people like you and i who've been trying to spread the word and now you're moving on to content but you're still evangelizing and getting people enthusiastic like how do you you know what's how do you balance between you know one selling the possibilities but also not over hyping the tech you know right um it's honestly i think it's pretty hard to overhype the tech um like just because of the fact that really like within kind of a 10-year time frame, it, it's very difficult to see what our world's going to look like because of the tech. Um, that being said, there's definitely people who are in the camp of, oh my god, VR, like, you know, as soon as it comes out within the first year, everybody's going to own a headset. And that isn't going to happen. Um, I would like it to happen, but it, it won't happen. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Just be, Before, hold, hold a thought. I just want to know, what are your guesstimations yeah. as to, like, year one sales of right. across the board, all consumer VR? Yeah, so I think that uh, the PC VR devices are going to sell about 10 million units. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I usually tell people 2 to 10 Although I'm starting with Vive, uh, kind of a thing now, and Valve getting involved, I think it's very unlikely to see less than 5 million unit sales. Um, so somewhere around 10 million units in the first year is definitely my guess. Mm. Um, and that's obviously like quite a bit. I mean, that's a sizable market, uh, especially for content. Um, and a lot of the questions around it are still kind of what the good piece of content will be, X, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, then the mobile VR, I'm, I honestly don't know because 
on the one hand, I the current experience is still kind of lacking a bit, but on the other hand, it's this thing that nobody has seen before, and it's really unique. And so uh, Carmack, if you listen to his, uh, his presentation, made a point that I thought was brilliant, which is that, you know, they're going to have this device in a cell phone store, and when you're going to a cell phone store, you know, if you're a typical consumer, you're just kind of going in, you're looking at the different phones, they all look kind of the same. And if you suddenly have this device that goes with the Note 4, the Galaxy S6, or whatever, you know, Samsung is selling, and you with it can see this Gear VR headset device, that's going to blow everything else out of the water because it's suddenly this unique experience that gets somebody excited about a phone. Um, so I think that's going to be a really interesting kind of wild card in terms of the early VR market, because we could, my guess is that we're going to see a lot of mobile VR sales, but that the consumer engagement starting out is going to be fairly low. So like Carmack said, it's going to be kind of the infection vector through which more you know, general consumers will find out about VR, but it's not going to see a lot of kind of content profits because if you think about it, these consumers who are buying it, they're like, oh, let me show my friend these things. They're going to buy a couple of the apps and that's about it. They're not going to be seriously using it on a day to day basis for the purpose of gaming. Right. So going back to the question, you know, what is it that, uh, you know, how do we get people excited but without overhyping it? I mean, in a nutshell, what do you think? What do you think the answer right. is? If you could. Um, I think the answer is just to be truthful. So to, to give the ex to talk about the technology in the way that you think it's going to develop. Um, and I mean, obviously like everybody's opinions differ on this, but I mean, you know, talking to basically talking about the technology as, Hey, this is a thing you have to try because until you've tried it, you literally haven't experienced anything like it. Um, so that's kind of one factor. And then, you know, making clear though, that this will change your paradigm and it will change the world. Um, yeah. So kind of a balance. And definitely like showing people is absolutely like the number one way to do it. <laughs> definitely. So you mentioned earlier that um, a lot of the, uh, so a lot of what's going to happen in the first year, first couple of years is you're going to have a lot of HMDs out and, you know, and you're going to have a market of possibly 10 million. Um, you know, and, and so you said uh, user engagement will be low. Um, why do you think that and what do you what do you think user engagement engagement is hinging on for for VR to be successful? Right. So when I said user engagement would be low, I, I really meant for the mobile headsets. Mm -hmm. um, I think that for the PC headsets, user engagement is going to be the opposite. I think it's going to be fairly high. Um, but that being said, the problem will be a content shortage. I mean, there's there's really just not going to be enough good content early on for the oculus and the vibe and those pc you know headsets um and that's going to create a problem where consumers who want to who really like vr and you know are having these awesome vr experiences only have a couple options with which to actually enjoy it but that being said i think that uh Revolve, is that the studio name? Uh, a couple of the multiplayer VR experiences that are actually like really well done, I think that will keep user engagement high for you know certain people. Um, but yeah, so the, the point was more that the mobile headset is going to have much less engagement than the PC side. PC side, I think, like, those are gamers. I mean, if you have a good game and you have a group of gamers, gamers will play it. Um, that's generally what happens. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so, yeah. So that, let me so let me ask you. So 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 just to class so so that we're on the same page. Basically, mm -hmm. what you're saying is the, the reason why PC 
the PC front of VR will have more user engagement in the first few years is because the networking abilities of the PC are better worked out so that you can have multiplayer experiences uh, that are better and more efficient and more fleshed out on the VR PC front rather than the mobile. Is that is that where right. so using that, that that's one reason. The other reason is the type of consumer. I mean, because game like if you think about the basically mobile gamers are very different from PC gamers. Mm -hmm. uh, one's hardcore gamer, one's casual gamer. So I mean, hardcore gamers are a lot more engaged in their gaming. Casual gamers, they'll buy a game, they'll play it for a week sometimes. I mean, some play them a lot. I mean, there's obviously variants, but that, that those are kind of the two, the two big, big things. The, the demographic as well as um, the, uh, the, what's it called? The, the first point I said, which was the like the hardware, right? Right, right, right. So let me yeah. continue m m moving along. I want to ask you, well, you know, can you guesstimate um, uh, how much do you think the average hardcore VR consumer will spend in a year, and how much do you think the average casual VR consumer would spend in a year? Hmm, the average. So for casual, I'm guessing the average is going to be something like. I mean, actually, average would probably be, yeah, like something like 10 to $15. Um, but that's, I mean, obviously these numbers are kind of just 10, like... 10 to $15 per week, per month? No, per, per person, for mobile early on. I think it's going to be very, like, people will find the apps that really show off the experience well, mm -hmm. and then those are the ones that people are going to be sharing around a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the PC side, I think... I mean, probably something like uh, maybe like a hundred, two hundred dollars uh, on average for software uh, for like a year yeah. um, or per year per consumer. Um, yeah, something like that seems to me reasonable, uh, especially when you're spending like five hundred dollars for a headset. Uh, you know, paying an extra hundred or two hundred dollars for content is fairly reasonable. Um, and who knows what type of freemium models will pop up? I mean, how did you reach? How, right. So how did you reach the estimation that it'd be two hundred and a hundred dollars? How do how do we? Um, I'm just guessing off of kind of the way I've seen a lot of VR content priced. Um, we're seeing less of the seventy dollar model and more of kind of a you know twenty dollar, ten dollar uh, type model, and so that gets you about you know ten ish pieces of content, um, which is what I would about expect is something around that for the average consumer. Obviously some people will spend way more and some people will spend a lot less. Mm -hmm. um, but if I think also about my own buying habits, I mean, if I buy a $70 game, that's probably the only game I'm going to buy for a bit, or at least that's how it used to be. Now that I'm actually making games, I have to buy a lot more games <laughs> just yeah. for research. But uh, yeah, so that, that, that's my reasoning, but honestly, I I wouldn't put a lot of uh, backing behind those guesses. I mean, they're they're just general estimates. Yeah, for sure, no problem. But and thank you for answering them. Um, I'm also wanting to, you know, so I'm wondering, you know, just trying to figure out like uh, someone who wants to be a part of this market, who wants to be a part of the this industry. Like, where do you right. recommend people spend the bulk of their efforts um, if they want to become a part of the industry like if someone came up to you and said sky um here's what i have you know what can i do how, how can i right. how can i be a part of this what would you say 
Right. Well, so I mean, I guess it would depend on the skill set, but um, the general kind of recommendation I would make is to get involved with either creating some sort of content. So uh, I mean, look at what is out there and obviously research kind of what people are doing, but don't research. I mean, you know, come up with your own ideas and, and prototype them. So, I mean, if you're a developer, then the easiest way would be to, you know, start prototyping, uh, find maybe an artist and a writer and, you know, people who have the skills that you don't and, you know, team up with them. And whether you're doing it hardcore like I'm doing, you know, building a company or whether you're just kind of finding a group of people who are interested in working together, um, you know, those are two approaches. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that kind of the first approach should be looking at the industry, doing research. I mean, read my book, definitely. Uh, but don't just read my book, you know, read some blogs, do a bunch of demos. Um, and then from there, kind of start to build your own ideas and, and work on them. And, and, you know, look at gaming, especially how it is now and see how it will kind of evolve into, into virtual reality and see where your skill set fits within that. So if you're an artist, I mean, you know, if you're if you're a 2D artist, maybe work on 3D skills um, or UI. Uh, if you're, a, like I said, developer, you know, work on uh, either network code or you know, just getting gameplay code out in Unity or uh, Unreal. And then if you're a writer or uh, a manager or something like that, uh, well, if you're a writer, like you know, start writing stories that would make sense in a virtual reality environment. Uh, and then if you're more like business sales side. Um, you know, find people who need those skills for you because I can guarantee you that most, you know, artists and developers are not, you know, used to raising a bunch of money. So <laughs> what is it that the thing, what do you, what do you think is the thing that the industry needs the most at, at this point, um, hmm. in order for VR to grow? I think input. No, <laughs> Right. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, no, no. <laughs> but like in terms uh -huh. of uh, skill and human power, like. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that it's literally everything um, we're lacking in every single sector. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, for me, because I'm not a developer, I see a developer shortage, uh, but that's just a developer shortage in general. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so other than that, I mean really just more people working and actually uh, prototyping and building stuff. Um, also more investors, actually, that would probably be the number one thing uh, because there's a lot of talented people already kind of in the industry, but it's very difficult to kind of raise money right now. Um, actually, it's not as difficult as it could be. It was definitely way harder eight months ago, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the, there is going to be a gold rush and when that drops is, you know, sometime the next year, probably, uh, once basically the devices, uh, first suite of devices come out and people see, oh, crap, there's suddenly a five to 10 million person market. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that's when people kind of put two and two together. Um, but yeah, I mean, so to answer the question, I think everything in general, like in every sector, um, people who have game experience, definitely, but everything is needed. What is it that motivates you? you know, to wake up every day to, and, and work in, in VR? Like, uh, what is it about VR that deep inside is propelling you to, to be a part of it? All right. So that, that is a good question. Um, and <laughs> the, the answer is going to get, uh, 
what level five or it's, it's gonna go pretty pretty meta um <laughs> i'm ready for you so so basically what compels me about vr is that it's a shift in in technological like media dissemination so you know 10 years from now every single computing device that we use is going to be an a is going to be a virtual reality device in some sense you know ar vr are basically the future um and so what I saw that as, and that was kind of this is what I think about on a you know very day, much day to day basis, is how can we kind of shift the general consciousness of media to be more kind of responsible about the messages that are conveyed and about uh, the information that is uh, spread around and kind of what the media actually serves as a purpose because a lot of media right now is purely like in entertainment especially is purely kind of let's make as much money as possible with this thing and let's build our kind of product directly around that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of like kind of lacking in uh, goals that I think that media can really accomplish. So things like education, um, things like empowerment, things like uh, cooperation. Uh, so VR is kind of this platform that allows us, basically the young and upcoming you know, people who are kind of more tech savvy, to seize this moment of really kind of almost gaining a large share of control of the media and uh, in doing so kind of being able to get this, this movement created that is about about these ideas of learning empowerment and cooperation rather than, oh, let's just make money on things, you know, basically changing the way that we approach media creation in general. Um, And the technology allows us to kind of seize that moment and do that and kind of disrupt the current uh, status quo of how things are conducted. Um, Because, like, it's not inevitable that that's going to occur. I mean, tons of people are going to move into the industry and want to create things that uh, aren't like that. And so I think the opportunity here and what for me is exciting is I, as you know, a developer starting out now can be one of the people who kind of pushes this ideal of, Hey guys, let's not just make things because they're going to make us lots of money. Cause I mean, that's inevitably going to happen in the VR industry. Um, but you know, more about, Hey guys, how can we really, you know, use this technology to enhance human consciousness, to make everybody smarter, to basically increase happiness in the world. And so that that's day to day kind of my, why I get out of bed and do things. I mean, the technology is super cool too. And I mean, I have a lot of fun with it, but that for me is kind of my, uh, my number one reason for doing so it. So how do we, how do we enhance and expand consciousness and make people smarter and create a better future for humanity? <laughs> so that, that that is a great question, um, and I I only like scratched the surface of it in my book. Um, you know, talking in the education section, I think is like about a fifth of it. But um, I mean, step one is really getting people to um, to to basically be thinking a lot more. Um, so kind of raising the level of what's expected uh, intellectually from media. Uh, so one example, I mean, you use an example like Transformers 4, right? A movie that was made purely for kind of feeding the, oh, oof, like fancy special effects and action side of us. And there's definitely that part in everyone. Uh, like I, you know, sometimes like watch that type of stuff too. But I think that uh, having uh, media that really has some 
like thought provoking content in terms of, you know, like for example, the matrix was a movie that came out and when people saw it, they're like, Holy crap, this is a really cool idea that you could be in a simulation. And that before that point, not that many people were having that conversation, but after that movie came out, you know, it became a lot more uh, mainstream. So I think that same kind of opportunity presents itself where we can, uh, for example, in Sidegate, so in our the game that we're making right now, uh, the International Security Agency has basically taken over the world and they have all the nuclear weapons. Wait, wait, this is, this and, is for, uh, this is your game that you're right now, yeah. that you're describing the plot of your game. Okay, okay. Right, yeah. And, uh, and so basically you have psychic powers and you've been imprisoned and experimented on by the International Security Agency, you know, the ISA. Um, and so you kind of break out and you get rescued by a group of rebels and go to this place called the Undercity, which is a huge city built underground. And, you know, above it, it's an even bigger city with nuclear blast doors in between. And, you know, over the course of the game, you basically kind of overthrow this, this Orwellian style of government. Um, and, and what actually, so a side note is that one of our characters is the, in the likeness of Edward Snowden. So his name is Ed and he will ideally look a lot like Ed Snowden. Um, you know, his name will be a bit different for legal reasons. Um, but I think that that conversation is a very important one for us to be having right now. And so our game kind of narrative is built around that idea. It's in an alternate universe, so we can do stuff that, you know, sci-fi and cool and, and separate, but at the same time, the ideas in it are asking the question, well, how much surveillance is enough surveillance? What, you know, is how much is too much? What is the right level of freedom? Um, all these kind of questions that we're not going to answer them for anybody, but we're going to basically attempt to really create a conversation around it. Very um, interesting. And and so I want to, I, I, a lot of the things you just said um, sound really cool to me, um, but because I, this, this podcast is not just uh, a, a place where I can, where I praise you all over, I'm, I'm going to put yeah. you through the gauntlet. I got a couple questions yeah. that are Definitely. sort of a devil's advocate side of things so you talk we talked about you mentioned how you want to um i I, I don't know if the word change is the right word but so help me with this one um you want to um enhance or or i want to say i'm gonna say change change the way the media is so uh focused laser focused on making money by all means necessary right right so and so in, in a sense I mean, and where you talked about freedom, you know, how do we, who are we to say um, whether someone, again, devil's advocate, whether someone uh, doesn't want to be flooded by information that is just <laughs> to the benefit of, right. you know, the media with their corporate interests? Like, how do I know, you know, why, who am I to come up to you and say, Sky, stop watching Honey Boo Boo, it's going to ruin your life? <laughs> You know, like, I, 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 I mean, wouldn't that right. be a sort of this oppression of intellectuality or a freedom of, 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 of associating with the information that you want? Um, right. Well, so the argument I would make is that you watching Honey Boo Boo isn't necessarily, I mean, I don't like, this is just an example, isn't um, necessarily, so media is what you have access to, right? And mm-hmm. so basically... I, I absolutely agree that you shouldn't go up to somebody and say, hey, you're watching this thing and it has no value and so you shouldn't watch it. I mean, that's not what I'm advocating. What I'm advocating is having it so that in general, most of the media that is publicly available and is, you know, what it becomes more mainstream 
has higher ideals than the current media in our generation does have. Yeah. So it's not like it's not a what's the word? You know, it's not forcing anything upon anybody. But in general, I mean, media just makes up what uh, thoughts are currently existing in a population ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so by having it so that the people making that content are actually thinking more in terms of, you know, higher ideals rather than purely profit. I think that the general, what is generally out there is going to be of better quality. So tell me, Sky Knight, how do you get to change that paradigm without getting assassinated? <laughs> that, that is a great question. Um, well, you definitely don't run for political office. That's the uh, <laughs> number one. <laughs> um, so, no, I think that, uh, I think that people want that kind of change. I mean, it doesn't, the only people who like really would be fighting against that are people like ISIS. And so that's, you know, that is definitely something that's frightening, but you know, I don't, I, I have no comment on ISIS. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that the way you go about it is it's not about a single person. It's about creating really a movement of people who it's not that, Oh, like this one person or this one company or this one even country is pushing this one ideal. It's about, a bunch of people have recognized and, and agree that there's a certain ideal of kind of uh, what people want out of life and that those people kind of have all different ideas about how to go about accomplishing that. Yeah. But as long as they're working together um, to actually kind of make that the reality, then whatever ideas that help push that further, those are the ones that end up working. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I mean, I, I think that it, that's an action. Everybody, it's a win-win situation, honestly, for everybody. Because if everybody's smarter, then we have better content in general. If we have better content in general, everybody's smarter. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a positive feedback loop. Define smart. How do you know whether a human being is a smart human being? Good question. Um, so that yeah, I mean, smart is a lot of things. Though. It's probably not a good word for me to use in general at all because it is so broad. Um, Generally, when I say that word, I, I generally mean that you're able to have a bigger picture of the world and kind of understanding of, I guess, the truth of kind of what's going on. Um, and so part of that is, I mean, understanding what uh, your your fa- your faculties, like what basically what's going on in the world. So the, an awareness is one thing, but it's not just awareness. It's also literally um, your ability to cognize at a certain rate. So there's, I mean, one thing in cognitive science that we found is that people who basically read a lot are are able to to have a certain number of words in their vocabulary when they go and read and uh, are learning more words they actually can learn faster than somebody who has less words in their vocabulary Hmm. Um, so it's literally a case of the 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 air quotes here the smarter the more the people with more knowledge get knowledge faster and so when i use that word i really kind of mean that because you have a certain level of intelligence or whatever through what you've learned, you're able to learn faster. So basically smartness in my definition is the ability to learn more quickly. What is it about, uh, and and forgive me if I put any words into your mouth, what I'm about to say, but what is it about virtual reality that you think will allow people to learn faster? Right. So the, that, that definitely is the case. Um, so I think it's the, the crossover between gaming and education become a lot more obvious um, because of the fact that you finally have this kind of presence and tactile, well, eventually tactile feedback, tactile-ish feedback right now. Um, 
And so I think that the big change that's going to come education is making games that are educational and actually, you know, transitioning our educational system to being an entire a game in itself. Um, and a game not just, you know, oh, do these things linearly, but of self-exploration and going along your own path as well. Um, so I think those are the kind of the changes that it just makes it a lot more accessible. Like you can have a classroom environment that also interacts with and, and switches between other non-classroom environments and experiences. Um, and all of these are, you know, tied into an educational curriculum that, you know, is very fun and engaging. So basically it makes it so that learning, instead of being this thing that you have to do, it's this thing that you want to do. And I think that shift is something that is going to make us a lot smarter. And it doesn't have to happen with VR, but I think that VR enables like I was saying with kind of with the media, it's the same situation where these kind of like new breed of educators are coming along that are realizing, hey, we can use games to teach people because we've recently learned in the last like 10 to 20 years that, you know, when you have learning that's fun, you actually learn a lot more. And so all these kind of crossovers, um, that that's kind of what I see happening is that we're going to be able to use the technology as the way to kind of shift the bureaucracy away from what we're currently doing and more towards this more high tech kind of learning yeah definitely um it's definitely an exciting prospect to be able to witness this um this this i feel like um uh, i feel like we're all of humanity is boarding a catapult yeah (laughs) yeah uh, that's that's definitely a good way to look at it (laughs) and it's going to yeah catapult us past um hopefully a lot of our deficiencies that allow us to survive past the 21st and 22nd century hopefully yeah Um, definitely i mean in my mind like my worries about this have dissipated a bit because of how awesome the vr community is but uh like like a year ago i was like worrying because if you look at the timeline of kind of tech progression 20-ish years from now we reach kind of a breaking point where a lot of people aren't gonna have the education to work in you know, the way that reality will be 20 years from now. And so I think that education, like, is the the key to, to making it as we don't have these kind of apocalyptic scenarios playing out where instead of that we have, oh, like, you, you know, maybe your whole life were a janitor or whatever, but now we have a way for you to actually, in a fun way, learn a new set of skills and actually, you know, be able to do stuff that before you didn't, there would have been no way to teach somebody like that in a way that they would have wanted to learn. Yeah. What uh, if what if every human on Earth were had access to education from the point they were born to the point where they're, you know, done? <laughs> Whenever yeah. they decide to be done, they would have an a, like a like the Harvard sort of right. just uh, across the board. Every everybody on Earth like that would be exactly. Um, and that's what's cool about digital education is you can just recreate it. The best teachers can literally teach everyone. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, definitely. I'm great. So, so uh, final question. Um, yeah. Where do you think? Uh, where do you think this all ends? You know, how does how does VR look like for us, fifteen years, twenty years from now? Um, and, and right. hopefully try to keep it succinct. Yeah. Um. So fifteen, twenty years from now. Um. So that wouldn't be the end of VR. But so, do you want me to answer like fifteen, twenty years, or like? even further than that 15 20 years let's keep it there okay 
Yeah, that, that's okay, cool. So, I mean, in my book, I talk about how it's likely we're probably going to start seeing things like brain augmentation about 20 years from now uh, because of nanobot technology kind of reaching this, this point around then, uh, as well as brain research. Um, so I think that, honestly, about 10 years from now, we're going to, you know, the graphics are going to be almost indistinguishable, which is going to be crazy because you won't be able to tell the difference visually. Mm-hmm. Um, so 15 to 20 years from now, there, there will be no difference. I mean, it, it, you won't be able to tell the difference between reality and the, you know, the virtual reality. And that's going to have a lot of, a lot of implications. Yeah. Um, and I think it's up to us in these next 15 to 20 years to really make it so that those implications are positive for society rather than negative. And I think that we can do that definitely because yeah. um, there's, there's this idea of like transhumanism and other stuff like that, um, which I mean, obviously we're not going to get into right now because that would be a whole nother rabbit hole. Yes. Um, but basically uh, that, that type of stuff, the idea that we can experience reality in a way that is so much more reality than you experience in uh, in our current daily lives. I think that's what we're moving towards. Um, and I think that's a positive thing. Mm. Uh, and it's not going to be the case that you're just like t- shut into your own world and you know doing your own stuff. I think you're going to be socially sharing you know infinite worlds with a whole ton of people. Yeah. Um, and just like if we have time for kind of one like little example, I like to to throw out is that. If you think about the typical life of a person like in today's society, how much of the, you know, that person's life that they go about on a day to day basis is novel. You know, if you look at somebody who's like the typical person who nine to five goes, they work, you know, they're they're not experiencing that much new stuff on a day to day basis. You know, they're doing work every day. That's fairly menial. Um, You know, they'll watch some movies, whatever they'll, you know, they play with their kids. They have these unique experiences, but they're not getting a huge breadth of experience out of life. If that same person, you know, 15, 20 years from now, every single day they're experiencing a completely new world or a completely new reality. um, I think that's just a way more exciting, you know, life to be living in general. Um, So I think that's kind of in general what we're moving towards and, Ideally, those experiences, like I said, are are positive rather than negative, and uh, I think it's going to obviously change everything. So. Yeah, we might as well be a whole another species twenty five years from now, um, because yeah. I think yeah, yeah, that, definitely. And yeah. if not, then like thirty years from now, I mean, absolutely, we're we yeah. are evolving as a species. Yeah. So. so, so final question, just to bring things to a close, yeah. you know, co- considering all the advancements in synthetic biology and you know he, the genome. Um, if we humans are able to uh, clone, bring back a Neanderthal, should we? And <laughs> why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so actually, the thing that freaked me out the other day was the fact that I realized that... So you can actually buy cloned dogs right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some companies that do it in, I believe, Korea and maybe Japan. I'm not sure. Yeah, you can do um, cats in Canada, I think. Yeah, so I think that, honestly, if it weren't for the moral implications, we could already be cloning humans. Um, and so we're obviously not doing that, which I think for, like, right now definitely is a good thing. Um, so, so so you would bring back a Neanderthal? So I, I wouldn't necessarily bring back a Neanderthal because that Neanderthal would be disadvantaged in terms of its current like intellectual capabilities. Um, 
but it, I honestly I don't know how to answer those questions because I I don't really I don't have the answer to it. Um, I think that we have to approach all that stuff very um, you know carefully. Uh, but I do think that I mean it brings up a whole other debate around uh, things like well you know what is the question I like to ask you know vegetarians or or, or meat eaters alike is you know if you didn't eat meat and there was no more reason for cows to exist, um, would you rather, you know, be a, a cow that's eaten by humans or would you rather cease to exist? And so that, like, I don't have the answer to that. Like, I think it's a very interesting thing to ponder. Um, and so the Neanderthal is kind of a similar question where it's like, well, should the Neanderthal exist? Would the Neanderthal prefer to exist? Um, or is it better off not existing in a world where it's, you know, an outsider or whatever? Um, yeah, I don't so know. I think that people will do what they end up doing, and uh, unless it unless bring back the Neanderthal significantly helps both us and you know the Neanderthal itself, like is an intelligent being and can live a good life. Because I I guess my my the belief I do stand by is that if the life is intelligent and self aware, uh, whether it be AI or a Neanderthal or a human, that you know entity should have the same rights as as anyone else that you know, is in that same group. So. so assuming game theory, and, and, and I'm pretty sure that is inevitable that one day we will probably see a Neanderthal walking around amongst us. Right. Uh, I volunteer to raise this Neanderthal child. So <laughs> if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, and I'm sure you're not, I, Chris Miranda, volunteer to raise a Neanderthal child for science. Um, <laughs> I guarantee it will have a good life uh, for science. So, you know what? It might even be smarter than us, you know, because they actually did have bigger brains. They had bigger brains than humans. So (laughs) if anything, it might be better suited for this world than than us. You know, we we were just, you know, this evil monkey that, you know, (laughs) killed them off or by accident. But we really don't know what happened to them. And I I really want to see what they look like. Um, And. Yeah, have sex with one. Cool. So, <laughs> have sex, Sky Knight, it has been a, a pleasure, really a, a true honor, and thank you so much for coming on the show. You have been a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. How can people stay in touch and follow all the things that you're doing? Yeah, so you can reach me at uh, skygnight, N-I-T-E, at gmail.com. Um, also, I mean, the game is called SciScape, C-Y-Scape. Um, yeah, send me an email. Uh, or meet me at one of the meetups in SF uh, for SFVR, you know, SVVR. And, yeah, I mean, reach out to me. I'll respond within a certain amount of time. Um, yeah, the community is still small, but it's growing, and I, I look forward to talking to you. Cool. Have a good day. All right. Thank you, Chris.